Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. As you know, our mission here at Real Vision is to democratize financial information and help all of you achieve financial independence. So in honor of the 4th of July independence holiday being observed here in the U.S., we've decided to unlock parts of a couple of great conversations we've recently had on the Real Vision platform. These are the kinds of smart, in-depth discussions we have with our community every day. First up, Real Vision co-founder Raul Pal and his favorite sparring partner, MI2 founder, Julian Brigden. So my view has been for, well, since November, that we're in a bull market and it will continue based around liquidity and based around that, the fact that I thought that the markets priced in a recession last year, year-on-year rate of change of the NASDAQ, for example, priced in the ISM at around 37. Um, so even though we've still got more of the economic weakness to come, I think the markets are now looking forward to more cowbell. So I kind of remain very bullish equities, very bullish crypto and bullish bonds, which has been a shitty call. It's been a total waste of capital right now. But I remain in that camp. And, you know, it's been I've been long a whole bunch of technology, both for um, GMI and also for um for macro insiders, and that's worked out really well. Now, we're wildly overbought, so we've got to correct at some point. So we've, I think we'll probably get you know a couple of weeks correction. How steep is it? Who knows, 5%, something like that, before we continue higher. I don't see anything changing in the interim, um, but we do have summer markets, and summer markets can be just a little bit boring. Um, I think it gets kicked off again later in the summer, probably with the banking sector. I think that story's not done. Even though we reached the oversold levels, it got weekly DMARC counts, and it bounced right off that, I still kind of feel like that story's yet to play out. Obviously, with so in what sense, Raoul, you're saying that they look extended and they, there's more bank weakness to come through, or what What do you... Yeah, so basically, they got overextended in the short term. Yep, bounced. bounced. Bit of summer nothingness. And then, you know, we often see this later in August, it starts slip sliding away because... You know, the yield curve is still negative 90-odd basis points, yeah. and the money market funds are at 5%, and the banks are at half a percent. Right. And then we got the commercial real estate mess. So- and the losses, I mean, you look at these some of these net interest margin announcements. I think, I can't remember which one it was, just came out the other day, and it was like a 20% drop in net interest margin because they're, you know, they were funding at 50 basis points or 100 basis points, and all of a sudden now they're borrowing from the Federal Home Loan Bank you know, the, the uh, penultimate lender of last resort, as they're referred to, um, at 500 basis points, right? So they're just profitability is just squeezing out. And we'd written about this where we said, you know, you, you get the kind of heart attack, the liquidity event, right? You overcome that. But you've still got ongoing cancer in this sector. It's just not going to get better. No, and also... Because they can't make profits. And we haven't even started, to your point, we haven't even started seeing losses yet. And those no, are coming. And- and, um, you know, if you look at the Fed emergency lending window, it's still rising. All right. So there's still right. stress, but we're at the point where the market price in a reasonable amount, it needs to digest all of that. And then, as you said, 
the profitability issues and other issues will start coming out. You know, some commercial real estates are already starting to get marked to market um, by some holders, and that alone is a huge issue, as we know. Oh God, I was. It was interesting. I was in uh, in Europe a few weeks ago, and I was uh, I met with a very large distressed debt kind of vulture, a bit vulturey fund, let's say. Um, they certainly described themselves as, as quite an aggressive lender. And they were talking about the only difference between places like Sweden, where we've seen catastrophic um, price action in the REITs, uh, where we saw one, I think it's SBB uh, is the big lender there. It's down 90%. Um, and they said the only difference between that and the rest of Northern Europe was just time. And that they just simply haven't marked these deals to market. You've had some deals in Sweden marked, so you could actually mark portfolios accordingly. And um, I have to think that's the case here in the US, that if you really did start to mark this stuff to market, the losses would be absolutely Yeah, you saw that. Um, I can't remember what they called Brooks, Brookfield. Um, walked away from a whole bunch of stuff in downtown LA. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. because the, the reality is the world has changed Nobody's going back to the office. And if they do, they go for one or two days a week. So everybody is still stuck in leases. So when we look at the commercial real estate, the office stuff, and it says 50% occupancy, that's because people are still paying leases. Yes, correct. The when moment you start you looking paying at the leases, cell phone usage and you see some of it's down 60 or 70, then you know that it's very problem. I, I, look, I, I don't disagree with you. And I, I was speaking to somebody yesterday about repositioning some of this stuff. And it's like, there is no way most of this stuff can get repositioned offices into housing. London's doing some of it, but a lot of the you know plumbing and all of the stuff, the construction and shape of these things aren't very useful. Um, they are also London generally has smaller some of these smaller buildings, which I think would be easier to do. New York has just has these mega massive tower blocks, which are quite hard, you know, in big like a city block size building, and it's quite hard to split that up into condos because you don't have enough windows. No, and also you've got, apparently the guy said the issue is is they're made of, you know, poured concrete so you can't move walls around. Right. So you can't change the configuration. The plumbing's not right. And as you said, half of them don't have windows. So right. you don't really have much. What he did say was interesting is that he's starting to see use of out-of-town shopping malls, which are now dead. I mean, Amazon killed those. Yeah, and yeah. COVID stuck the knife in it. Um Starting to see them repurpose as like sports facilities, recreation facilities, because they're so huge indoor spaces. So if you're in right. somewhere cold and miserable like Massachusetts, yeah. you can use that <laughs> empty shopping mall um, to um, you know put tennis courts right. and pickleball courts and football S fields. Absolutely. Way you know, everywhere I go, I come across uh, shopping mall facilities that are now trampoline parks for kids where you exhaust them so that you have actually got a chance of getting some in the evening. Um, otherwise, your kids are too, you know, won't, will never go to sleep. And, you know, it's everywhere. I think uh, this thing has already, like, swept North America. I wonder how much of it is going to come to Europe because you're going to see these climbing wall places, CrossFit gyms, uh, trampoline parks, go-karting centres. Problem is, it's all second best use. So whatever pricing you had for that oh, yeah. square footage, it's got to be worth less in this second best. Yeah, because you're not getting you're not getting Macy's as your anchor tenant. Correct. 
Right. And you know right. that With was millions how you of dollars of, turno- of turnover. Like, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's how you price all this stuff: was these anchor tenants, the gap, and w- all yeah. of that stuff. And they're just not going to be there. Yeah. So uh, you're right, Harry. I mean, the value of this stuff has to go down to make the yields attractive to, to do it. And that means so, you have a residual value problem on the fixed income that was issued against it. So yeah, we I haven't mean, taken those losses. Yeah, so to put things back in perspective, I think that this bank thing, I think is pretty serious, frankly. I think, you know, when I look at net interest margins, so the difference between basically what they're earning on their books and what they're paying to fund those books. Remember, banks make hedge funds look pedestrian when it comes to leverage, right? Banks are 15 to 25 times leveraged. They are balls to the wall leveraged. So if you're funding at five, you know, that's quite a problem if your assets are yielding 3.8, right? So I think their their profit starts to deteriorate or continues to deteriorate uh, on their um, net interest margin. I think we haven't even started to see the loss. I was looking at credit card losses, for example, and while they're very, very low in absolute terms, the rate of change of credit card losses now is approaching the, the sort of highs of 08, um, just before we went to the recession there. You're about to see uh, commercial and industrial loan losses start to accelerate, I think, materially. Um, so the banks are going to start to have to take impairments. And I think this becomes, this is a slow but cancerous burn for the underlying economy because this is, you know, we have to have credit, right? You get growth off credit. So I think this this continues to suggest to me that the that the recessionary risks are real. Now I would concur well with the liquidity thing. I mean I'm not as bullish as you, but I do have you know I had back a while back and we told you guys we had a buy signal on the S&P right around 3900 we got a buy signal. Um and uh Oh, so I think it was, sorry, yeah, was it was in 99. I think it was, it might have been a bit higher. But, you know, we got a buy, a buy signal and I, and I kind of struggle with that. But I do think short term, and I just wanted to show you this, if I look at the liquidity ratio and some of the fangs, because we know really that's what the equity market bullish is. There's nothing more than just a bunch of fang names. And if I look at this right here, right now, you know, if you look at the ratio between underlying liquidity and the fangs, we're as extreme as we were in February of 2001, right? And then back then, the fangs fell 16%. Um, our ETA model uh, short term is going max short today based upon, and this is not, we, you know, we don't give you trade recommendations based upon that, but we're going max short based upon a close in, uh, S&P futures below 44.23 and NASDAQ futures uh, below 15.273. Um, and it's not fundamentally short, interestingly. It's just saying, to Raoul's point, we are so stretched in the range that we have to have some sort of correction. I mean, how much that is? Is it 5%? Is it 10%? You know, is it in fangs? Is it 16% like it was last February, Right. Uh, I don't know, but uh, you know we've written a lot uh, about how these parabolic moves are non-sustainable, right? The the rise in doesn't mean that it won't be a good company long term, but you know when you see a parabolic move in a stock, it's a great time to make 
profits, but parabolic moves don't continue. If they start to lose momentum, you have to start getting quite worried because they are classic crash patterns. Right? That you know, are you starting to see a crash? You know, a classic crash pattern in the Nasdaq. I think it does look a bit like that. How far it goes, I don't know. A lot will depend on what happens to liquidity as we move into September and October. And there are signs that you will start to see quite a lot of stress in some of these liquidity metrics come September, October, as the banks, as Treasury starts to move from issuing bills, which is what they've been doing, which hasn't, has come out of money markets and their reverse repo, so it hasn't drained a lot of liquidity from the system, to issuing more duration. Um, the banks are not going to be able to take duration risk as we move in towards the end of the year because they've got some regulatory uh, requirements to meet. So you could end up with more liquidity. But right here, right now, all I would say is things look a bit extended, right? They look a bit extended. Just a quick moment to remind you, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now back to today's analysis. That was part of a monthly conversation Raul and Julian have on our pro tier called Macro Insiders. They're two of the best macro thinkers out there, and the fact that they face off and challenge each other each month only makes them better. Next up is Andrea Steno Larson in an excerpt from Buy Side Meet Sell Side with CIO of RoboCap Asset Management, Jonathan Cohen. So we're going to touch upon today how to actually classify a stock as an AI investment. Uh, and you're already starting to, to dig a little bit into this topic because, I mean, as a layman, um, from a technological perspective, I tend to think of AI as something related to generative AI, right? Something related to um, chat GPT or the likes. But if you look at AI from a broader perspective, which sectors are actually impacted and where can we find AI stocks on a broader scale? So what is really interesting about AI is that it touches every sector without exception. Uh, there's really not one that is, uh, uh, that, that is not touched. So you have different kinds of AI. You have, um, you have I mean, just to, to start with, AI is when you use, for example, computers to mimic human, human intelligence. And that's probably the most basic definition of, of AI. And then you have um, machine learning, um, uh, which is used to analyze uh, data. You have, uh, and I, I won't go into all the different classifications, mm. but you have some that are using neural network, reinforcement learning, um, but, but it is definitely more than an algo. Uh, what is really interesting when we analyze stocks that call themselves AI stocks is that about a third of the time, uh, at the end of the conversation, there is no AI. Uh, on, on, on the, sometimes I've had, we've had multiple conversations with the CTO, sometimes with members of the advisory board. We have a Professor Paul Newman from Oxford who is an expert in AI. Um, on, on depending on the use of the data, uh, depending on the, the type of staff that they have, it is sometimes just an algo, but AI has become a buzzword and you have to place it somewhere. Uh, now, companies need to have an AI strategy, 
But already, I would say for the last three, four years, a lot of software companies or quantitative funds have been calling that themselves as AI, but they were not using machine learning, not using neural networks, sometimes just an, an, an algo. Mm. Now, in, in terms of the sectors which are impacted, um, so for me, cybersecurity is probably one of the most uh, interesting applications. Uh, so I guess everyone right now has an antivirus, but the majority probably of the people who are uh, on, on this call uh, are using some of the incumbents. Uh, let's say Kaspersky, Norton, McAfee, systems which are updating a, a database uh, of known virus signatures every day and then simply comparing uh, how um, if they see this virus signature in the files that are being opened. So it slows down the computer. It's um, on, it's only effective to known virus signatures. And that's why you, had, so you have sometimes massive government-sponsored attacks that are very effective. If you have a new virus, you can, you can infect thousands of computers at the same time. Now, the market for cybersecurity is growing at about 9% per year, uh, which is good, but not huge. If you take the incumbents, their growth rate is close to zero. If you take the companies that are using AI, uh, their growth rates in average is probably around plus 30, 40% a year. On, on in some cases, they have become the market leaders. Mm. So that, that's that, for me, that's, that's a, a prime example of, of use uh, of AI. Uh, on, that could be companies like CrowdStrike, Sentinel-1, uh, Cloudflare, just to, to, to name a few. Um, now, in, in healthcare also, it, it, it is very interesting. Uh, so AI is already used uh, to identify, um, for example, cancerous cells on, on X-rays, but it's not taking off a, a, as quickly as other AI applications because you need to convince the doctors to use it on to recognize that the AI picked up uh, a d diagnostic that they, they, they would have missed. Um, so, what makes really uh, ChatGPT unique, uh, from my point of view, on, on, on this generative AI, which is based on large language models, so you, you, can, you can chat with it, you can, you can speak with it, and it doesn't require any form of expertise, is that one, it is very easy to use, uh, two, it is a general purpose, on, on three, um, it works incredibly well, even if it sometimes hallucinates. Um, it, it, humans do hallucinate <laughs> as well, but uh, it, it works in incredibly well. So I cannot think in the world of AI or, or robotics, uh, a product that came to the market on that ticked all the boxes to have so many applications and to be a mass product. Uh, so it, it is really disruptive. Mm. So a bit of anecdotal evidence from my side in relation to what you just said on chat, GBT. I, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, the Danish version of Paul Newman. Um, so he's heading the um, the AI uh, sector at, at the uh, University of Copenhagen. And when I talked to him about ChatGPT when it started uh, airing as a theme in, in the public media, he said to me, well, we've been capable of this for quite a while. And then I said to him, yes, but this is the first time that we are actually showcased a, a user, user interface that is friendly enough for people to use it. Uh, so on that note, wh where do you see 
similar use cases appearing uh, across sectors from, from an AI perspective. Where do you see the friendliness appearing um, of, of the AI technology uh, across the board here? So, so if I understand your question cor correctly, um, I, we, we don't like. Uh, I mean, there's some AI that is used for computer vision for to make business decisions, but which is publicly available for free, on on so so easy to use. Uh, I, I cannot think of any other uh, application than the generative AI we've seen recently. Fair enough. So um, the big question here. Um, from a stock picking perspective is how to avoid um, being tricked into an equity claiming to be an AI uh, stock if you really want to invest into this theme, right? And we've seen a clear surge in the amount of companies just on the S&P 500 index, for example, trying to mention AI as many times as possible in earning calls. So talk a bit, uh, take us a bit through your process on how to evaluate whether a stock is truly linked to this AI theme or not? Yeah, so the starting point is to, is to understand what is the technology. Mm. Uh, so what we have noticed since the start of the year is that the number of stocks that have AI in their name have doubled, tripled, quadrupled in, in share price. Uh, but, but in some cases, they are truly AI companies, but they are slow growing AI companies. So not all AI is growing at the, at the, at the same speed. Um, the, the reality is that it is not easy to figure out if a company is really using AI or, or not. Uh, we usually start with the, uh, the application. So is it just voice recognition uh, uh, or is it uh, like 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 a black box uh, which pretends to do something that you could not do otherwise on that's generally the, the, the later parts. On, on that is very difficult to, to find out because you cannot open the black box, you cannot see the code. Uh, but what you can do is to try to understand what is the use of data? How do they use data? Uh, what is the background of the uh, scientific team? Um, in, in some case, uh, they have background in video games. In, in other case, they have real proper background in machine learning, in neural network, have written paper about their, their findings. On, on, on the, the more difficult part, I would say, is most of the AI, true AI company, do not necessarily mention AI in their name or in their description. Uh, so it, it doesn't make the, the, the job easy, but when you focus on that, on you, do, you do that only for like the last seven, eight years, you you find a way around. What has been, I have to add, uh, that the technology is so complex. On a, I'm not defining myself an expert in AI. My expertise is probably more investments in AI. Mm. So we have to work alongside the leading experts in, in that field, the one uh, which are doing the, the research on those people are not working for funds. They're not working for banks or asset managers. They are doing research. They're working in labs. On the writing history. Andreas has such a fantastic ability to take big market themes like AI and translate them into actionable strategies across asset classes. The best part of almost all of our shows is that they include live Q&A with you, our community, because that's what it's all about.
We hope you enjoy the conversations. U.S. markets are closed July 4th, Tuesday, but we'll be back with you live Wednesday, July 5th with Academy sessions, three ideas, our daily briefings, and much more. We hope to see you then. As always, take care and good luck out there. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN.